is happening. No, 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 no. <laughs> Welcome to the Spooky Park Bench. It's me, Mike Sim. I'm a commercial photographer in the United Kingdom, specifically Oxford, over the Atlantic in the serial killer capital of America is my best friend in the whole world, Christopher Stone. Hey, yep, that's right. Wisconsin, Milwaukee specifically. A lot of serial killers from here. I don't know why. There is. I don't know why. Maybe there's just not a lot to do. Well, living here for the past year, I can possibly see why maybe someone would resort to serial murdering, but... um, You haven't partaken in any murdering? No, I'm not motivated. (laughs) (laughs) There's no... I'd have no reason to start killing people, so no. Yeah, I mean... It's becoming more and more apparent that I'd quite like to live anywhere that isn't this country, to be honest, though. I mean, it is a fucking bonfire here right now. But is the grass always greener? Because, I mean, it can't be, you know? I think there's almost anywhere in the world the grass is greener than here right now. The grass is, is a scorched earth of shit here. What about New Zealand? A lot of grass. Yeah, but beautiful. Are we moving to New Zealand now? Are we a New Zealand-based podcast? Yeah, that's what we do now. We we do that. What have you been up to? I haven't talked to you in a little while, I feel. I feel like we've both been busy. We just send each other the odd selfie. Um, Mm -hmm. Don't do do much on the ways of... We don't really talk about photography. Uh, Mm -hmm. What are we up to? Stuff, working. Um, I haven't told you this. I'm I'm shooting my first cookbook this month. Oh, no way. I am. That's cool. I am. What's strange about it was a, a, a guy who comes into the coffee shop mm-hmm. came in and um, he often goes to London to eat. Foggy uh, London Town? Foggy London Town, yeah. He goes to eat, do Jack mm-hmm. River tours and drink gin. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I made the latter two up. Um, anyway, he came back and he was like, I went to this really nice restaurant. I was like, oh yeah, he said, what's it called? Brother Marcus. I was like, all right, cool. So I started reading about it. And like two weeks later, I got a call from a publisher. Mm-hmm asking if I would be interested in shooting this cookbook. And I was like, yeah, of course. Um, and it turned out it was for this restaurant, Brother Marcus. And so, yeah. So, so I'm shooting the book at the end of end of the month. Uh, I'm doing one day, middle of the month, going to their four different places. And then I'm doing five days of, of shooting the shooting the food for the book. That's um, cool. All digital? Is, yeah. yeah. Of course, it's my first book. So like... I'm really excited. It's kind of the one thing I've always wanted to do. Like when shooting food, it's like, I think, you know, it's, it's great doing, you know, stuff for websites and print. And like I've, I've done stuff for magazines for print and things, but the Holy Grail is kind of shooting a cookbook. So, oh, yeah. um, so I'm, I'm really excited. Um, yeah. I'm excited for you. That's going to be awesome. I'm excited. That's, that's really yeah, I mean, I'm excited, but I'm also nervous, you know, because like it's a big deal, you know, cookbooks are, 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 are a highly sought after commodity these days mm-hmm. uh, and what tends to sell them not is what obviously it's not the only thing that sells them but people buy them on the way they, they look inside i think so right. well uh, i mean they would have hired you if it wasn't you know they you weren't the guy they wanted because of what you do so i wouldn't i wouldn't be nervous I'd yeah, be, it's, uh, just, it's just it's a big thing you know we're sh- i think we're shooting almost 90 recipes in five days that's easy. Then, yeah oh yeah totally no that's um, it just just 90 just the 90 yeah just the 90 so on cookbooks that i on cookbook sets that i've been on before mm-hmm. i'll do between five and six setups a day because mm-hmm. obviously you've got you know you've got your designer and everything else there you've got people from the restaurant or the chef or whoever and then you need to sign off everyone but we're going to be shooting close to like 16 17 setups a day 
um, it's going to be pretty full on. That's insane. That's a lot. Yeah. yeah I'm yeah, proud yeah. of you. I'm very proud well, of you. Oh, thanks, man. I've, I've not ruined it yet. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's, that's cool. So that's a big, big tick in the, in the things I want to achieve in photography as a, as a working photographer box. Mm-hmm. Um, it's big. I've been up to not a great deal, really. That moved house. I now live in a, in a flat as opposed to living in one room, which is good. I see. It's a nice looking uh, flat. Decorated, yeah. Very, like, very tastefully decorated. Thank you very much. Like before, you still get enough. So I've got one of my own prints on the wall there because. Of course, as you do. I have I have none of my prints, but we have a few of my girlfriends. I'm, I'm um, much proud, more proud of her work than I am of mine. So. I yeah, that's I mean that's the only photograph of mine that I feel should be in a print because most of them are a lot of my works are either portraits or food. Mm-hmm. So I feel a bit odd having a portrait of somebody else on my wall, unless like. I don't feel weird about that. It depends on the context, I suppose. Sure. Um, I agree. Yeah, but so instead I've just got some bleak chairs. Um, Sounds good to me. <laughs> it's art. That's the job. I've got really into um Pokemon? No. No, I've never never liked I've never done Pokemon. Um I've got really into um I was into candles. Huh? Like good smelling candles. Okay. Um, like as a hobby or you just uh, found some candles you like i'm a sober guy these days i don't have a lot going on in my life so sure (laughs) um but then i was turned on to uh like smelling waxes so you get a little what this is great great material so you get a little tea light (laughs) and then you get a little wax like a little bowl and the tea light goes under the bowl and then you put wax in there and it melts it makes your house smell oh it's like a diffuser yeah yeah like a diffuser, yeah. yeah. But like, um, right now I've got I've got like a winter Christmas scent. Uh, yeah. Right now I've got some sea breeze going. Mm-hmm. It smells nothing like the sea. Having grown a lot of a lot of people who are into that and in, into that woo woo shit love that stuff. I just don't want my house to smell. So instead, I've got yeah, this, yeah, no, 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 for sure. Going, which, like I said, doesn't. I, I grew up next to the sea. It doesn't smell like the sea. The sea smells like um, like a mix between diarrhea and latex. And um, it, it doesn't. It doesn't smell well, only when the tide goes out. So it doesn't smell like that at all. It, it smells like fresh laundry, and that's what my house smells okay. like. Okay, well that's a nice. That's a nice smell. I do want to get a Christmassy type of candle in here at some point. I like that pine smell. It's a good smell. Yeah, do it. I mean, what, what else has been going on? Uh, new grounds popping off. We're 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 mad busy. Wholesales up. New cafes coming, right? Well, that's not keep going down well. Um, potentially, potentially coming. Potentially okay. coming. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else? No. Still really like eating trifle. Mm-hmm. Uh, really like trifle. A good. Tri- no, I don't like a good trifle. Like a cheap trifle. Yeah. Okay. What's a trifle? Uh, what? I don't know what a trifle is. Did you watch Friends? That popular US sitcom. Yes. Did you see the episode where Rachel tries to make a trifle and she messes it up? Oh, because she adds like savory things to it on accident yeah, or something. Minced beef, I think. Yeah, so minced beef, right? She because she didn't know that minced meat was vegetables right. and fruit and stuff or whatever. So it's ve- fucking vegetables. It's it's, it's <laughs> jelly and fruit, and then custard, uh, and then. Which, by the way, don't call mixed up fruits and jelly mince meat because it's not meat. That's Why not. I call it that. You? Oh no, wait. You're talking about mince meat as in like mince meat pies. No. So a trifle is. Jelly and that's gelatin, not jam. Right, in stupid country. Okay, uh, is jelly, fruit, custard, sponge, fruit. And cream. It is okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Got it. Okay. Stuff. So I'm into that. It sounds complicated. It's not, man. It's not. Um, I'm trying to think of anything. I'll just, I'm just going through things. Um, so I'm in a trifle still. I've got into cycling. Lycra. I like to wear Lycra. I saw. That's nice. Look good. Yep, yep. Pounding in the pounding in the kilometers every every week. Um, You're really wait. giving me a whole rundown here. I love it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, you know, it's been a while, so I'm just mm-hmm. trying to think of. So yeah, into into cycling, trifles, candles, um, <laughs> and I'm shooting a cookbook. So and you shoot a cookbook, yeah. Yeah, that's it. And, oh, and and Hulu. I've been watching stuff on Hulu. Hulu is big in your life. We've been watching a lot of Hulu too. So yeah, and then also I, I text Christopher because I was watching. Um, it was actually quite a funny story. I'd been telling somebody about um, the bear and how I really wanted. Oh, yeah. I was obsessed. With his, I was obsessed with his t-shirt, and I was being mocked for the fact that I was obsessed with this. With it, just it's just a white t-shirt. But um, this is the uh, shirt I'm wearing it right now. I'm wearing a black version. <laughs> well, it's the same thing. I, I phoned, but I think we phoned. I phoned you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Say something about it, and the person I was with tried to mock me by saying he only wants to watch it for the shirt. And then you were like super excited, and you were like, "Yeah, the shirt's amazing. I actually bought one." <laughs> I couldn't. Yeah, That's normally I I jump on the chance to make fun of Mike, but I couldn't contain my excitement because there's right after I watched that show, I saw the online talking about people talking about the shirt, um, and I got really excited about it because it's a it's it's a good. Perfect, like American shirt, yeah. These like sports fit, like yeah, like, t-shirt. It looks amazing. And um, I bought a couple of that style of shirt, and they're so comfortable, and they make me look great, despite me being out of, terribly out of shape. Um, so tell Becca that she needs to uh, cool it, and she needs to just embrace the beauty of that shirt. It's, Did you it, get one? No, not yet, because they, well, I mean, they come from the states. So, like, no, you, I sent you a link. There's that that I'll send you a link. Because you can buy that. You can buy. There's a shop in London called Son of a Stag where you can buy the exact t-shirts he's wearing, but they're like 100. but they're like a hundred bucks. No, the ones that I got are much cheaper, but they're the same construction, same material. I'll send you a link. It's really great. But anyway, oh, part bench guys. This is what we're all about. This is what <laughs> you know, it's all here and there. But anyway, what, what have you been up to apart from looking like Private Pile? Thanks for asking. Um, yeah, my hair got buzzed off because my girlfriend and I celebrated our second anniversary. And for whatever reason, she thought that that would be the best time yeah, to change yeah. my hair look completely. And honestly, it's been good. I like it. It feels nice. Um, With she, that shirt, those glasses and that haircut, you, you look like a 50s army recruit. Like I know. I feel like I look like a radio operator right now. Um, <laughs> and then, um, yeah, uh, I'm changing my job. I'm mm-hmm. switching up careers, actually, um, really? potentially. Yeah, you know, working working nine to five as a photographer, I realized, we, you know, being a full-time photographer, but being a photographer photographing things that you don't care about or don't like, it's not worth it. And, um, you know, I'm not, I don't have time for my personal projects, personal work or anything outside of, you know, working because I'm there all the time. So I'm moving into the tech world. Um, yes something to do something it's not it's not 100 yet but i'm going out for something that's a full remote fully work from home situation that gives me a lot of freedom to do other things while i'm working um and will give me more time at home with my pets and with my girlfriend and allow me more time to just um uh not have to commute 30 miles to uh get to work and sit in traffic and spend money on gas and be stuck in a studio photographing things i don't care about so that's a big development that I'm yeah. doing. So it's not official yet. I have another interview to do on Tuesday and I'm, um, which will have already passed by the time this comes out, but 
hopefully if that interview goes well, I will be transitioning into a new, new career, which will be interesting. So um, wish me luck. Send me the vibes. Good, good luck. All the all the good lucks for uh, me. What else is going on? Um, I've transitioned a little bit from drinking a lot of coffee. I've been drinking a lot of tea, having really? quite a few cuppas every day. Um, tea, Earl Grey. I really love Earl Grey. Did you put milk in it? A little splash. Uh, a little splash. I know, but Earl Grey is one of those teas that just does a really good. It's really good with milk. There's a drink called London oh, Fog. London Fog. Yeah. Steamed milk. Yeah. Is, is that what it is? It's, Earl it's basically a latte, but instead of coffee, you're adding Earl it's, it's Earl. It's it's concentrated Earl Grey tea. So you get basically it's an Earl Grey latte, and it's it's fantastic. You never had one? No, because like I'm cool. <laughs> uh, I would implore you on a cold, foggy evening, or even a morning, to get an Earl Grey. Uh, get a uh, London Fog. It's a fantastic. It's delicious, delicious drink. I love okay, it. Yeah, maybe. but I'm, I'm usually just doing like like a hot cup of Earl Grey with a little bit of milk, or or just English breakfast and milk, and it's just really yeah. nice and it's quick and. Well, I mean, you know, before before we recorded the podcast, you guys are about to listen to. Uh, I made a cup of of instant coffee. Yeah. Well, um, see, that's the reason why I started doing tea because at work I can either go to Starbucks on the way to work. That's the only coffee shop I have time to go to on the way to work. Or when I get to work, I can drink the coffee there, which is pretty much akin to uh, senile old dog diarrhea. And so it's like my options are limited. So what I decided to do was to start drinking tea and I'm getting caffeine. It's a wonderful little drink. I don't know. It's nice. I, I like it. I dig that's, it. That's all the Mars. If you like yeah. it, you don't, it's you don't nice need for the season. You don't need my validation. You, I do. Desperately. Uh, yeah, I, mean, I, I need yours to be honest as well. I'm very, very fragile. <laughs> <laughs> um, what else has happened? Uh, yeah. You know, I'm working on YouTube stuff still. Um, I, like the, I like the last video. Thanks. Yeah. I'm starting to do more narrative-y. narrative-y. I'm starting to have like a more narrative style. I don't like the whole talking head thing that much anymore. So I'm trying to move into that and it, you know, finding my style, finding my footing, but you know, I still find a lot of fun in that. So that's what I'm doing. But, uh, yeah, what else is happening? Hey, kind of it. We recorded a podcast with Alex Burke. Yeah, today we just got done. We just uh, this episode you're going to listen to is actually a really exciting one for us because we've been Alex Burke fans for a while, and his work is really beautiful and uh, inspiring. Yeah, and he he surprisingly for some reason don't know why agreed to come on the podcast and chat with us about his work. So we just had a really awesome conversation that i learned a little bit from i was surprised to hear some of the things that he he's into and it was i don't know it was a good time he's a cool we guy almost kind of we almost kind of learned to not learn <laughs> yeah yeah you'll have to listen to it but uh, yeah. it's a good convo we had um he's a cool guy uh his website instagram are in the show notes um so yeah what do you think good times i i, I think everything christopher just said i think yeah really enjoy speaking to him Super good dude. I'm going to keep... I do mention his voice quite a lot in the podcast. Yeah, Mike got a really... He got really into his voice. He just sounds like... He's, I will say he does sound like the guy who does the horror films like the This yeah. Summer. Yeah. He has that kind of that, intensity. Like, he's the kind of guy that like if you were... If you went to like a graveyard, right? <laughs> like, And then like he would just be 
all of a sudden appear over your shoulder and be like, I know what you did last week. Or just like, just like, it's cold out, isn't it? And you just be like, what? or like, are you going to meet her for the highlights or the shadows? <laughs> I don't know. That was terrible. But this episode is great because uh, we get a little insight into how he works. We get some really good insight into simplifying as a photographer. And I think it's, if you are someone who is struggling or, you know, uninspired or worried about, you know, uh, what you think you need to do to be a good photographer. This is a good episode to listen to because it kind of gives a lot of really nice perspective that sometimes you can lose when you're in the middle of it. So, yeah. yeah. It's always good to hear from somebody that's really confident in their approach that that, mm-hmm. that likes that, you know, because I think we, we're really all guilty of like super overcomplicating things, you know. And even Everything. Though we, even though we know how to do things, we will still try and find a way to overcomplicate it and to speak to a guy who's so content and humble, I think, in how he approaches photography was like, it was really quite refreshing to hear that mm-hmm. you don't need to overcomplicate things. You can just strip it all back to what it is. Exactly. So I, I thoroughly enjoyed speaking to creepy graveyard guy. Uh, <laughs> well said, <laughs> but yeah, so enjoy the, the, enjoy the, um, the podcast, please make sure you, uh, rate us five stars. If you liked it on Apple podcasts, it actually really means a lot. Uh, subscribing as well helps the podcast too. It helps people get their earballs on it. So mm-hmm. yeah. Thank you guys for listening. We can't wait to uh, do another podcast episode after this one. <laughs> yeah. And bear with us for all of about 30 seconds while we, you hear a quick word from our delightful, delightful sponsors. Mm-hmm. All right. See you later. Toodle pip. Toodle pip. The Spooky Park Bench podcast is sponsored by Newground Coffee. Newground is a coffee roastery in Oxford, England, making some of the finest coffee you are ever, ever likely to sample. Newground is not just a coffee roastery, but also a social enterprise, giving ex-offenders the chance to get outside of the prison system and learn some skills within the coffee trade. You are eligible by listening to this podcast to get 20% off an order from uh, Newground Coffee using the code SPOOKY20. So if you just go to newgroundcoffee.com, enter the code SPOOKY20 at checkout, you will be entitled to 20% off their wonderful, wonderful wares. Now, uh, back to the podcast. Uh, Alex, thank you so much for joining us today on the Spooky Park Bench. We're super thrilled to have you. Um, I've been a fan of your work for a while. I'm a huge fan of your um, Great Plains work, especially. That stuff is really rad awesome um and i just got into four but won't well, just got i guess last year was when i got my speed four, graphic kind of new. last year yeah you're right pretty new um and i've been on a little bit of a journey with that so um you're one of the i think you're one of the first people that i found on instagram who i was like ah another four by five shooter cool i'm gonna follow their work and yeah super inspiring stuff so um i've actually been wanting to ask if you'd come on for a while but i always feel like <laughs> If I ask somebody, they're going to say no, or they're going to be like, who are you? I might say yes, though, right? So I might say yes, which could be worse, yeah. Um, So, yeah, so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? You are in Greeley, Colorado, right? Yep. Yeah, so Greeley is like kind of on the edge of the plains. I'm kind of, you know, one hour west of me is mountains, one hour east is prairie. So kind of have a a mix of whatever to photograph and kind of works well. Is that where you're from? Are you originally from there? I actually grew up in Estes Park, uh, you know, moved there, went to like middle and high school up in Estes Park, which is a mountain town, uh, mm-hmm. just an hour to the west of me. Uh, then I moved around a bit, ended up in Greeley uh, about 15 years ago. Was it kind of like, uh, oh, this is the perfect place where I have like everything around me. This is like the spot. 
Well, I mean, at the time I moved here for a job, really. So mm. for an unrelated job. So are you still doing that unrelated job or are you fully? Uh, no, no. I quit that six years ago. So a little over six years ago. So full time photography. Nice. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. That's yeah, it's been a good break. So yeah, yeah. Oh, go yeah. back. <laughs> it's an increasing rarity as well to be a professional photographer and actually just to be a professional photographer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been it's been an interesting journey. It's gone pretty well, actually. Well, you're you, as a photographer, you're you're doing a lot of like print sales and commissions and stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, print sales make up still the majority of what I do, but oh. you know, the services like drum scanning and licensing images and whatnot. It's kind of kind of make it a whole bunch of things that add up to a full income. So oh, so you educational do material as well. So. You do drum scanning as well. Yeah, yeah. Drum wow, so customers. Yeah, I didn't yeah, know I that. Just, I just watched yeah. your, your drum scanning video from like a year ago. Oh, perfect. Yeah. I, I, I still, the problem I have is I look at like, I've got a four by five. I got mine about a year ago. And like, I look at four by five work all the time. And I, I want to be a four by five photographer. And I'm always let down by my abilities <laughs> with the camera. Like, unlike with medium <laughs> format or with like a 35 mil, like, you know, you, you kind of know what you're doing with a four by five, like that's the intricacies of it are what make the image great. So I look right. at like, yours and I'm like, Oh fuck. Like, I, can't. Like, <laughs> I think I take for granted how much I have the rhythm of it down over yeah. all the years, you know, how that's the only system I really use. So to me, it's the, quick point and shoot camera at this point almost because it's just all of the the steps that you can screw up along the way are kind of you know those are just automated so i don't it doesn't happen anymore which is nice i watch like drum scanning video and then i say to myself in my head because obviously this is what most photographers do is we blame our equipment so like i'll watch (laughs) the i'll watch the drum scanning video and i'll be like this is where i'm going wrong i should just be (laughs) drum scanning my images right that'll fix them Hundred pounds per image to make sure that they look sharper. It's nothing to which, do with my which, in reality, all it's going to do is it's going to amplify the glaring <laughs> issues with your pictures rather than show them. Yeah, so maybe not. So you, I mean, so you want to make them a little better, you know? Always, yeah, a little. Yeah, it'll just show just just that I just missed the focus and no more. Right. Um, so when you're like, so you have people sending you negatives to drum scan? Yeah, yeah, quite a bit. I didn't even know that. I feel so stupid. I didn't realize that you had a service where you drum scan for people. Um, I know, I know Alex, not Alex. I'm sorry. Um, what's his name? Uh, Nick Carver. He's done some stuff Mm -hmm. like that for people like rarely, but I didn't didn't realize. Yeah. I had no idea you did that. Do you have like a whole website service and stuff developed for that? Or is it, uh, it's just a part of my website. It's just a little little services tab under drum scanning. So, or a pricing tab, I think. So, Oh, that's right. It, see, it's tucked Man, in there. That's why I didn't see it. No. You should have your own. There should <laughs> be its own thing. <laughs> well, I, it's funny because like I went to your website to get just to make sure I'd like got a kind of a good glimpse of like stuff you've been working on lately and like yeah. look at your blog again. Because your blog, by the way, is such a great resource on its own without it. even it's like one of the things I actually wanted to talk to you about is the, um, I'm sure people have been talking to you about it since you've done it, but the lunar eclipse on large format that you did, um, yeah. that one had a lot of people really impressed. And a lot of people, I saw a lot of people showing that photo and being like, here's my way of doing this. Like there's like YouTube videos on it. There's a guy who made a blog on it. There was uh, people in my discord were talking about it. 
Um, really? And I just thought it'd be cool <laughs> to talk about that a little bit because it's such a cool, it's such a great photo. And um, your blog goes into such great detail on how you actually managed to do that. But if you want to give us a little walkthrough on like what kind of inspired that whole process. You might want to ex- quickly explain the photo if anyone's not seen it as well. Yeah, so what it is, it's a photo of a homestead, uh, you know, on the prairie. So it's just this desolate prairie with one little old abandoned homestead sticking on it and a tree in front of it. And then I wanted to have the lunar eclipse all about, you know, the whole process from when it's starting to the blood moon part of it to the end of it, all kind of going across the sky throughout the eclipse. So, um, you know, in little stages. So I didn't actually do a ton of math ahead of time. I just went to that building um, found a spot that I, you know, a good composition of it and then decide, you know, kind of, I use a little app to see where the moon would move, uh, throughout the three hours mm-hmm. or so. I kind of knew it'd be about three hours would be enough to get the full process of the eclipse and saw what focal length would kind of go almost across. Uh, and I, I chose on like a one twenty five, which is kind of like a slightly wide, like a 40 millimeter equivalent mm-hmm. for that. Um, but where people get a real confused, actually, is that they, un, you know, because I did 20 exposures of the moon, very short exposures, just, you know, uh, it depended. It could be a 30th of a second down to, uh, I think, the seven seconds for the actual eclipse phase, the full on blood moon part. And those are um, don't really add on to the exposure of the main image because it's just blackout at that point. By the time the lunar eclipse is happening, it was fully dark. So you can keep adding as many of those short exposures as you want, and you'll never overexpose the landscape. That was kind of the biggest confusion for people, I think. Yeah, and that was when I first looked at it. I was like, okay, how – my first thought is, oh, you took – a bunch of exposures and then, com- you know, composited it later, which then I realized was obviously not what happened. Um, yeah, yeah. and all then when I'm sheet, so all in one sheet, which is really incredible. Uh, but yeah, you didn't, people didn't realize that like after you take that initial plate, it's going to be yeah. dark to expose for the moon. Everything else is going to be really dark. So, so, so yeah. in fact, what I actually did is well, go ahead. You were exposing for the moon. Yes, exposing for just the moon, which at night, I mean, the landscape's not going to show up even at all. So, right. so uh, yeah, I think when looking at it now, like when I've looked at it before, and I remember, I remember the first time I saw it and was totally like confused by it. it as, a, as a thought. <laughs> and I, was like, I don't quite because I still because of the time of the exposure, the the, the plate's been exposed X amount over time. It doesn't obviously, it's not as dark as it as it was to you. Right. Time. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. the because the, yeah, the moon exposures, even the seven second exposures of the blood moon, because that's what it took to get the red moon to show up at all. It's actually significantly darker than the full moon. Even that seven seconds, you know, you can do that. I think I had to do like 10 of those or so, the middle part of the eclipse. And those, you know, that still adds up to nothing at night. So the, the landscape yeah, yeah, is going to show up. Yeah. So that's what How works you, uh, pretty well about it. So. For it. What was that? How did you do the math for it? Like, uh, we- you know, the math. Oh, so actually I have a little digital, like it's a little tiny digital point and shoot, like a micro four thirds camera. And I point that at the moon and just set it on manual mode and said, oh, hey, seven seconds looks about right. So, you know, I was just I, I have a little histogram on that thing so I can judge exposure. So that's, that's actually. Able, yeah, I had that thing sitting on a second tripod just pointed at the moon so I could just just for metering purposes was the only reason. So I could see when the moon was like still full without being eclipsed at all. I think that's normally that. Yeah sunny 16 rule at that point pretty much mm. it was very short you know 160th or 130th or something like that at f22 i think and i had to 
even open up the aperture for the blood moon parts because I, I didn't want the moon to blur too much. I mean, seven seconds is already getting a little iffy on the motion of the moon. Mm-hmm. So I had to do it. I think I shot wide open. I think I was at F5.6. So I had to change the aperture. And then oh, wow. I just chose a random interval. I chose eight minutes between each shot. And I, I did exactly eight minutes. So I set a timer get for that. Super so, nerdy. What about reciprocity failure? Is it doesn't that, really matter because all, they're all short exposures, so there isn't really going to be. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, just, yeah. <laughs> and they're all in separate parts of the film, so each one is like blasting a new little moon right, onto yeah, a part of the point. film. Film that really, and the whole sheet of film had a little bit of twilight sky. You could see there's still some because there were some clouds out before, so there's a little bit of sunset color in the sky, just a little bit of you know like late twilight sunset color, a little pinkish purple glow in the clouds. So the moon is just being pasted on top of those essentially. Yeah, all of yeah. the it worked out so great. Like the color, because I would think, you know, cause when you explain it and when you practically think about it, like, yeah, that totally makes sense. And like, yeah. that should be based on the principles of photography, what we know about it. Like, yeah, that should totally work exactly how you did it. And it obviously did. But my brain, right. for whatever reason, when I think about doing something like that, I think like, Oh, the image itself, like the the main subject, which would be, I guess the homestead would be like, yeah affected by all these other exposures yeah. but then when you really think about it yeah there's no light from that yeah. in yeah, that area so there's no, i mean when i yeah. shot that homestead shot that was like an hour before any of the eclipse shots so yeah uh, the moon wasn't up the moon was uh or i think the moon was yeah it was like it was not even up yet it was still twilight out it was i think can't remember maybe a 20 or 30 second exposure at, you know so even at twilight, that took 20 or 30 seconds. By the time it's pitch blackout, you could have left the, camp, the shutter open all night long and you're not going to see that homestead, especially at F-22. Yeah. Did so, you uh, develop it yourself? Yeah. Was that a nervy process? <laughs> uh, no, I just... <laughs> I developed it, I think, the next day. I was pretty excited about it, but I just... Uh, yeah, I kind of developed have stuff you all the sold- time. I had a few other sheets. Have you sold a lot of those uh, prints of that one? That one actually has been selling all right, especially considering I haven't done an art show since I took that one. And usually mm-hmm. that's where I sell most of my prints. So it's, uh, I have sold several online. So it's actually going pretty well. To nice. go off a bit of a tangent now on the print sale front, I get asked this quite a bit. As someone that doesn't sell prints, um, people just because I'm a photographer feel like a lot of people don't quite, a lot of people don't understand when you say you're a photographer what that actually means. Like well, When they say uh, you shoot landscapes, they think you mean you shoot like gardening. Well, so, <laughs> yeah. I've gotten that before. <laughs> with photographer, right? So, like, I shoot like for websites, for cookbooks, that sort of stuff, right? Um, but like, when I tell people I'm a photographer, they they assume that I sell prints in like you know cafes and stuff like that. And like, I get asked when people who do want to sell prints, you know, they they want to sell them, and they think, you know, what's a good price? And like, I remember speaking to Kyle about this, Kyle McDougall, and he was saying he used to try and sell prints at like you know forty. $30 or something a print and people yeah. weren't buying them. He put them up to like 150 or $200 or something. And people were like, this is serious art. Now, now it's time. Yeah. I've not looked at the prices of your prints and you do not have to discuss the price of your prints, but do you find that if you take them, if you take yourself seriously as a, as an artist and then, and, and show it that way that people are more inclined to buy, have you noticed, have you changed pricing scales or anything like that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've been, uh, over the 10 years, I've definitely, uh, gone up on them and I actually generally notice better sales as the prices are higher. I mean, I don't go to the exponential 
charge whatever the heck I want because I feel like it. But, uh, yeah. you know, a little higher, I think there is this value that you're adding to it. And it really, when I had to make a living off of it too, that changes things for sure. And I think people understand that you're trying to make a living when you're selling, you know, a print for 150 versus 25 bucks or something. So I right. can tell it's just a side hobby for you. And it's funny yeah. because that's happened exactly to me. Like I used to have prints for like 30, 40 bucks. And then yeah. I was like, you know what? And I had like every size available. So just like add a couple yeah. of bucks if you go up in size. And right, then I realized yeah, yeah. like, wait, I got to stop doing that. I'm adding the, I'm either having one or two sizes per photo, depending on the photo. So like, you know, if I take a specific photo, I'm like, okay, this is definitely going to be an eight by 10 because of the aspect ratio and how I'm cropping it, whatever. And not right. having this, not having all these choices and then having the price be closer to a hundred dollars for like starting, like maybe like 80 to 90 starting. And then I, I mean, I sell prints pretty regularly now. And I think it's, right. I think you're right about adding the value. It is a value added thing where if something is at a certain price and this goes for, I guess, photographers who are looking to price to be hired, like, you know, what they've shoot, um, mm. what their day rate is or what, whatever that is. If you price yourself accordingly um, and higher, there's an assumption that you are worth more kind of like same thing with oh, like, right. And Apple anytime products, you think about, clothes, you know, a price yeah. for hire, you got to look mm-hmm. like, I mean, a plumber makes 150 bucks an hour or they charge that anyway. You know, the company takes a bit, but the uh, yeah. automotive technician makes, you know, they, they charge 150 an hour. So why yep. is a skilled profession like a photographer any different really? So yeah, I think that there's about, a, what's, what's yeah. a whole day, right? What's 10 hours of your life worth, <laughs> especially because when you do a day, you're doing a day behind the scenes of editing too. At or least. Whatever. Yeah. So, yeah, I think there's yeah. Assum- assumptions about art that we still have to kind of reckon with, you know, people don't think that like people just assume if you're doing something you like, like art, that it's not necessarily work. And so it shouldn't cost as much. Whereas someone who's a plumber, they're probably not stoked about snaking your pipe. So they should get paid more. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So it's kind of like that weird assumption where labor is divided up into these like different categories, which is silly, but that's just kind of how it is. But I've learned that, much rather be fishing shit out of a toilet with my hand than photograph a wedding. So, <laughs> well, to be fair, I also <laughs> would right, rather do right, that. I'll give you that. <laughs> <laughs> um, to backtrack a little bit, uh, you mentioned that you used a little Micro Four Thirds camera for metering. Um, and looking at your work, it seems like you have your metering and exposure process down pretty damn good. Um, yeah, all of your, I'm pretty all of your confident. Is, yeah. Yeah. So is you're not super precious about metering, it seems like, or at least you're not out there with like what it seems like you're not out there with a spot meter metering everything no. differently. So no. can you kind of give us a little bit of a walkthrough in like, I guess, yeah, so am my, I layman's process, terms? <laughs> my process might sound a little so simple that it uh, sounds like I'm cheating almost or it's just confusing to people because, mm. you know, I get a lot of people ask like, oh, you must have used the zone system for that. And I'm like, eh. Not really. I pointed a camera at it, got a reading and shot at that speed. So, I mean, really a little, a nice spot meter costs several hundred dollars used, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're, yeah. they're not cheap. So these micro four thirds cameras are literally being saved from the dumpster. I pay 80 bucks for them, you know, you get a lens and I, I break them pretty now I, on a long trip. I carry a spare, you know, I, I trash them. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, it's a camera that's a close aspect ratio to four by five. So I'm also using it as my composition finder. So I'm Ooh, walking smart. around with the zoom lens. This uh-huh. zoom lens is like a, for micro four thirds, it's like a 12 to 50 zoom lens. So that covers all of my four by five lenses. So mm-hmm. 
I kind of know. Um, so that way, you know, you can't just walk around with a four by five in front of your face finding compositions. It doesn't work. Why not? So <laughs> I use this thing. I can I can determine which lens I want to use, exact tripod position, exact tripod height, and everything. And then I can set up the four by five. All I have to do is just say, oh, that looks good in the on the little digital camera. It's going to look great on four by five. It's a little fatter of a rectangle, but I can always figure it out. And then I just go with the meter reading that says. I mean, for most scenes, I am just pointing the thing on average metering straight at the scene, you know, it says four seconds at F22. I shoot that. If I'm doing Velvia 50, I make it eight seconds. If I'm doing, you know, and then add for reciprocity. If I'm mm-hmm. doing F32, I add, add a stop as well. So, cause the thing only goes to F22. So the mm-hmm. little light meter, but it's just a, usually adding, I'm adding a stop is all I usually have to do at most. That's one of as far things, as the math goes. People, people so, just over, I mean, I, I'm not wanting to blame Ansel Adams again, but, like, <laughs> complicate like, the crap out of it is what people oh, do they really... oh man like do you know I, like no word of a lie like i've got you know i've got a decent meter but like i've never taken i've never had a wrong metering from a free metering app on my phone that, oh yeah like, right i i've i've had uh i've smashed one of those cameras one time and pulled out the metering app it was fine I mean, it just, never, it's fine I, you've got so yeah. much so much latitude on a on a, on film that as long right. as you're not underexposing, you're basically not going to fuck up. I have I have one of the Sekonic meters that's an incident and a spot meter that I got from a studio that was closing down for nothing. Um, it's a seven eight hundred dollar meter, brand new, whatever, and it's fantastic. Like it has great features, it works really well. But I never use it because yeah, my phone. And I always feel like I'm cheating or I feel like I'm doing something wrong or I could be doing something better because I'm like, it can't be this simple. Everyone always talks about how complicated and hard it is. Why complicate things? You know, I just, uh, and there's some tricks. There's some, there's some tips you can do. I mean, a lot of my scenes have a much brighter sky than a foreground. So Mm -hmm. for that, I'm using GND filters, especially on slide film. It's pretty critical for landscape photos. And that's, you know, I, it's as simple as point the camera at the ground, get that reading, point the camera at the sky and again the thing's just on average metering the whole time i'm just yeah. pointing at the ground i'm pointing at the sky and i'm just you know it's what, what do you know it's always a two-stop difference slap a two-stop filter on there and then meter for the ground because the filter takes care of the sky yep. so that's pretty much <sighs> done and done for those right for those there. who don't know a gnd like- is graduated neutral density so that's a filter that has a neutral density that graduates to clear towards one side top bottom whatever something like that yeah meant entirely for you know controlling skies that are too bright in landscapes for the most part I just think like the zone system just i remember that i remember before i started to like understand metering and like you know i'm a visuals guy so like i find things like if someone explains something to me visually i will understand it way more than if if i'm trying to read something like i won't get it Mm -hmm. so if someone says to me you want to see those shadows right meter for the shadows if you don't want to see the shadows, you want the shadows to be black, meter for the highlights. I'm just like, okay, right. Then, right, right, that makes sense to me. If I start looking, yeah. and I remember reading the, about the zone system, and I was like, this is like a fucking maths textbook. I've got no idea what <laughs> I, I, I don't think it's particularly relevant for color photography either. Um, no. Yeah, it's uh, cause, because the films don't fall into the categories the way black and white does. Um, yeah. And it's, it's just not... Yeah, it's like a math book. I think it might work for some people who are extremely technically minded, but I don't think it's the solution for everyone. And I don't think people should be ashamed of not using the zone system in their photography. No, I mean, I, 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 yeah. I'm unashamedly like, you know, 
a total basic bitch when it comes to photography. (laughs) I'm like, I'm the anti-nerd of photography. Like I, I just, I know what I want something to look like. And then I, I've I've learned how to make it look like that. Well, you always hear too, people are always talking about, Oh, don't use the meter in your camera. It lies to you. It's not going to give you a correct reading. No, that thing's perfect. (laughs) But dude, okay. So so my F2, right? Smart guys. I know I have, (laughs) I have two of these F2s with this meter, with the DP one, I think is, the meter on it and i i never use an external meter to meter for my nikon f2s because there's a meter in it why would i and this thing is dead nuts every single time i never have a problem with the metering when i use it on the camera so i always see when people say stuff like that and i go well okay well then why did they build those into the cameras and why why are the guys that built why are the guys that are smart enough to build meters in your camera why are the guys that built the meter in your hand meter any smarter well another thing it's the same it's the same thing yeah it's the same thing there's no difference. And it's, it's just like, you're right. It's simplify and take away the complications and just do it. And, you know, that's why I kind of want to ask you about your metering process. Cause obviously with the work that you show on your Instagram and the work on your, on your uh, website, it's obvious that you are metering and exposing properly because everything looks gorgeous. It's, it's perfectly <laughs> fine. So it's like, if someone of your caliber can't just go out there with a little micro four thirds camera, use that to meter and compose. And then bam, you got what you got. Then like it's, that's, that's good enough for anybody. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a great way. I'm not saying everyone should go buy, buy a micro four thirds if they want to, if they, you know, they're cheap though. So they're mm-hmm. cheaper than a light meter and they're not really any bigger. Um, what are you using? Um, what camera so is it? It's like, um, uh, cause the OMD, um, just oh, like the, the first, the first one, the Olympus, OMD, yeah. like the one that came out, I think it's like a 20, 13 camera or something like that. So yeah, I think I've broken four of them by now. They're pretty cheap. Do you like that um, one specifically because they're cheap and readily available? Cheap. Or? That one is like reasonably weather sealed as in, I know mm-hmm. I still break them, but I would absolutely crush the even cheaper ones. So I just mm-hmm. go with that one. So how are uh, you breaking these cameras, by the way, if you don't want me asking? Um, I mean, you should see how I treat my gear. It's, it's pretty bad. Like I just throw it in the <laughs> mud or, or, or uh, you know, drop it in water or I'm step on it. Oh, cows, uh, cow stampede got one. <laughs> that's a good story so what was the story behind that what was survived that? like a year past that but it had like a hoof mark on it so <laughs> that's pretty good what what were you what were you shooting in you alex like the fact that you you meter as simply as i do you don't give a shit about your gear you throw it around i'm really enjoying this also you have the greatest voice i've ever heard of anyone in my entire life <laughs> all right well thank you yeah you're gonna be, you're gonna be such a scary old man one day Excellent. I can't wait. Um, So Um, what were you shooting when you did that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Another metering trick is expose for the thing you want to be exposed properly. It's kind of that. (laughs) I mean, like, I mean, it sounds crazy, but yeah, yeah. So expose for, you know, maybe that's your subject. Whatever you care most about in the image, expose for that. Like that's kind of, that's kind of it. So, you know, if it's snow, add a stop. If it's really bright snow, add two stops. Uh, you know, if it's Aspen trees, they're kind of bright, you know, maybe add a little bit. If that's your important thing, expose for those, you know, and expose accordingly, you know, bump them up a little bit. If it's a dark pine trees, you know, take it down a little, but expose for the thing you want to be exposed and you're going to be pretty happy most of the time because the other stuff you don't really care about, it's not that important. If there's something that's truly black or a little overexposed in the image, a little hot cloud in there, no one cares. It's fine. Right. Yeah. No one, people think, I hear this a lot. People think that you know, from the blackest blacks to the whitest whites, they want everything to be perfectly exposed in that right. whole range. But then when you get an image that looks like that, it's very 
flat. It's boring. Right. And you really want, want something. You want things that are kind of pushing boundaries on both ends a little bit. So exactly. And this is something that I deal with on my nine to five because the place I work had to have a look that they want to achieve. But then when I do something a little more dramatic with the histogram, they're like, this is too dramatic. No, no. And I'm just like, yeah. oh, I'm sorry. There's interest in this photo. Is that bothering you? Like, you know, it's, it's the, it's the fact that it's not perfect. Sometimes that's what you, you want some little things in it that show you that you're shooting it on film. Otherwise shoot it on digital. If you ask me, like, I, well, right. like obviously, I mean, like you do it because of the process, like you don't shoot four by five, just you, you it's the process of shooting it. But like, part of the things I love about film are the imperfections and the things that there's little, you know, there's splodges here and there, or you miss a bit of whatever. Like that's what I like about it. I think if I got a right. perfect image, well, also, perfect image, I'd probably just be like, eh. <laughs> yeah, I'm coming yeah. to like highlights that are just a little bit shot sometimes, you know, like just in that brightest part of the image, you know, who cares yeah. if you lost a little bit of detail there because you weren't went a little heavy on the exposure or chose, you know, this scene was just too contrasty to make it work at all. Well, if you look up at the nice. sky, you're not going to look at a cloud. Yeah, it's bright. <laughs> yeah. If you look at a cloud that has the sun behind it, your eyes it's are bright. not going to perceive the detail there. <laughs> yeah. so, so what are you doing? Yeah. Um, right. uh, speaking you- of sorry. film, sorry, Mike, to cut you off. I was going to ask you shoot a lot. It seems like you shoot mostly slide film. I'm kind of half and half. So and, okay. and depends on the subject matter. Like most of my prairie stuff is entirely portra, like almost entirely. Mm-hmm. And then uh, in the mountains, I will use a good a good half and half mixture of like Ektar. And then I've really been shifting towards E100 after kind of figuring that film oh, out. Yeah. So I've been using mm-hmm. that one a lot because it can handle a little more abuse than Velvia. And I'm uh, kind of getting a little bit tired of Velvia and Perovia being so blue and magenta and over the top and even on yeah i think it looks green to us because we don't know what natural colors look like so it's actually probably neutral and uh we're, <laughs> we got we've all grown up on these ridiculous magentas from fujifilm so yeah been, well yeah. your e your e100 blog post i thought was really great super informative i learned i learned a good deal um i'm a huge ectochrome fan i shoot a ton of it mm-hmm. uh 120 and then my girlfriend and i bought a bunch of ectochrome for four by five we've been shooting that a lot and it's it's a really fantastic film i think it's yeah. kind of the best thing that kodak is doing right now other than ektar probably but yeah, uh, i was going to ask with your metering technique are you finding that with slide film the technique you use for you know, regular negative films working out fine too, or I mean, for the most part, you know, if I am using Velvia, I'm going to be more careful. I mean, that film, mm-hmm. you, it's more about, I'm careful about subject matter. I'm probably going to be less likely to use Velvia when there's deep shadows and bright sky and a sunset mm-hmm. going on. I'm mm-hmm. a little more likely to use Velvia for like this, you know, foresty scene on the ground that, you know, all of it's in this one stop of dynamic range. And there's no, no worries about, uh, you know, overexposure or anything. E100, mm. I treat a little bit more like I would Ektar because it can, you know, it's got at least an extra stop of highlights. You can kind of abuse it. Mm-hmm. I also don't think it's 100 speed. I think it's 80 at best. I don't. Mm-hmm. I think that 100 is a little wrong. Um, Interesting. And then I generally use a little uh, warming filter on it too, which kind of brings it down another third stop. So it's really, uh, I, but 50. I, I think it needs a little <laughs> extra exposure. So, and, and maybe it's just because it can, but the slides to me just don't look as bright as a Fuji slide if I expose it at a hundred. I just I think agree. it's a little a little third stop, if not a little more. So mm-hmm. yeah, in yeah. my experience, I think it does, especially Ektachrome, does love a little bit more light. Ektar, um, I'm glad you brought up Ektar earlier. I, I'm a huge Ektar fan. I've been an Ektar fan for a long time. A lot of Ektar hate online. 
people don't people want to talk shit on Xbox. People have trouble scanning it. Yeah, I think. I think so. Because it can get like nasty red, and if you underexpose it, boy, you're in for a muddy mess. So uh, I would recommend. I mean, and Ektar can take abuse. I mean, you can just. You can just expose for the shadows and abuse the highlights. You can expose for the midground and abuse the highlights. I mean, oh, whatever. It just, <laughs> it's gonna, it can handle a lot of highlights. But if you underexpose it, it's gonna get muddy. It's gonna get wonky blue shadows. If this, mm-hmm. if your scanning technique is not downright, you're gonna have mm-hmm. some trouble. And so. it's, it's, it's funny because people will complain about like the red skin tones or they'll complain about like, you know, it lo- like having the wonky shadows. But I think the problem is that people who are either newer to photography or maybe who haven't shot Ektar before are just kind of treating it like some other kind of throw, like a superior or something and throwing right. it in the camera and shooting it. And they're like, oh, these shadows or this dark scene looks like shit. I wonder why. And it's like, well, there's no light. You didn't give it any light. So it looks right, like crap. Yeah. <laughs> and that can but, be a challenge, especially if they're throwing yeah. in like an automated camera that doesn't, you know, that's some right. of those point and shoots that may not expose too well. I mean, Ektar in, you know, medium format, especially I found is really fun. I've never shot four by five Ektar, but that's on my list, but it's. Right. I've still got color four by five. Really? Oof. I tried to, and I fucked up. For my sure. dude. Ectochrome <laughs> for some reason, 10 sheet. I, I don't know if it's 10 or 25 or whatever the sheet count is, but there for a while, I don't know if it still is, but Ectochrome sheet film was cheaper than Portra uh, Pro Packs for 120. Yeah, and yeah, so we bought a bunch of that. I bought, I bought right. yeah, they all kind of vary randomly. It's kind of odd. Yeah. Cool. Like, you can buy, like in the UK, you can buy like. If you go to some like independent retailers, you can buy them for almost like half the price of other places somewhere. But I got yeah. 10 sheets of Portra um, for like 70 pounds. And you haven't uh, shot it yet? That's steep. I, no, I, I told you. Remember, I messed up the first two sheets because I, oh. I, I, I like I in the dark. To it, it's a long story. I've told it on the podcast already. But basically, I fucked it up. And then I managed to load another two. And then I'd loaded them in back to front. So shot through the wrong side of the film. Yeah, we did that. My well, girlfriend like, and I went and shot like, Symmetricome a couple months ago, and and she did one of the sheets backwards, and I had it. So my <laughs> my frame was a red scaled frame, which was actually kind of cool <laughs> right. looking. But uh, it yeah. was just like yeah, and it's like that's yeah seventy pounds, which actually with the current state of the the pound is about seventy dollars. So uh, <laughs> right, <laughs> oof. Uh, well, I think yeah, black and white's great for tooling around and like playing around with four by five because. I feel yeah. oh hi my cat's here. I feel I've got like some, with um, that's that's like I've been fine around with. It's been really good fun. Uh, yeah, the uh, you know I've been trying to save the color stuff for like projects or specific things I want to do because it is so goddamn expensive. But you just got back from a trip where you shot how many sheets of uh, over five hundred fifty? So I think almost six hundred. But yeah, I'm how much is that? that? You're selling your print at around about fifty thousand dollars. Then if you're buying that much. <laughs> <laughs> The, the one fun thing is I never, ever try to make money off the taking of the photos. That is my one fun like, thing is I'm in $200,000 of debt. <laughs> <laughs> right. So uh, at least I'm never sitting there worrying about the car, co- you know, worrying about like, boy, I hope this sells. You know, I'm just taking stuff mm. from me. And uh, sure, I guess uh, I don't want to do the math. I mean, I guess 550 times six. I guess that's not a lot. That's six bucks a shot. So kind of a good bit of money on film Holy there. Crap. So, so is that um, film that you bought for the project or did you get that and you've had it like I mean, in I the was fridge? stocking up quite okay. a bit beforehand. So it's and I pretty yeah. much just grabbed everything I had in the fridge. Um, though mm-hmm. I have a pretty good supply of the Velvia because it's hard to get. So I left some of that at home. But pretty much everything in the fridge came with me. 
Um, wow. And uh, yeah. so you're all, you're out of film now. Yeah, I have like a hundred sheets of Portra. I, I pretty much I ran out of E100, and I had like eight sheets of Ektar left at the end of the trip. Are you so I don't. I'm developing it. Yeah, I've got. I'm 180 so far. I got home a week ago. I'm done 180 sheets. Um, so I got yeah, almost 400. So are we cutting hours, into so. your processing time with this podcast right now? <laughs> nah. <laughs> I mean, if you want to <laughs> take a break, it's a, it takes a while. I can do 40 sheets a day, but it's most of the day. While you talk, it's fine. It's not a problem. So just to give you, I don't want to freak you out, but just a rough estimate of how much money that was. It's only about $3,300 in film. You're right. That's I spent not, more than that too bad. Gas for the trip, to be honest. So Holy shit, really? <laughs> yeah. I, I, drove, an, I drove a van to Alaska, so. It was <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, that's probably fair, yeah. So how was that trip? Yeah. God damn, how was it? Uh, absolutely amazing. Yeah, I, I left mid-July, uh, got back a week ago. Um, so I've, I've wanted to go up there a long time and I wanted to do it as a road trip because there's a lot, lot of stuff in Canada I wanted to see along the way. Um, quite amazing. I mean, there was a whole month where I don't think I saw another photographer, you know, a couple guys out there hunting. But, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times the photographer, you're kind of competing for shots with other people, especially in for how amazing the scenery was. There's just no one out there. So wow. it was quite phenomenal. Um, there was a closure in Denali National Park, this road, the road about it's a hundred mile long road, 90 mile long road. Mm-hmm. And it got destroyed halfway down by a landslide that started last year. And oh, it's wow. going to take them four or five years to fix it. But there's an airstrip on the other side. We were able to fly bicycles in on planes and then ride on the closed road. Um, Whoa. Yeah. That's... So we had you know, the park was just I, a friend flew up to meet me for that part. And we had mm-hmm. the park to ourselves. I mean, there's just no one out there. So That's we got insane. to ride our bikes up and down the road and like treat it like an empty national park with, you know, which you usually would have thousands of people milling about. Right. Um, and it was just our amazing land there. So it's pretty cool. Holy crap. Gosh. And is this going to be, is this like a long-term project thing? Are you doing a book or is this for something specific or just, you want to do it? I was just, uh, yeah, wanted to do it. Stuff, stuff for myself for the most part. So, uh, I mean, you know, always sit there and look at the photos later, but like, I guess maybe I'll try to sell prints of these, but, uh, most of the shooting I do is just because I want to. So the Prairie series is the one thing that's probably gonna, I, I need to figure out what to turn it into. Cause that's kind of has a good flow to it. So can I just yeah. double check uh, and show my naivety? What exactly is a prairie? <laughs> oh, like grasslands, open grasslands, like it's the whole middle of America. There was once a little house on one somewhere, <laughs> um, but I've never quite known what wow. it is. Thanks, Dad. Um, yeah, yeah, you just it's... have hills and stuff, don't you? Locks. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, not so much here. Scotland, yes. Uh, down in Oxford, not so much on the hills. Right? Oh, okay. <laughs> no, just people, yeah. When you finally people. come to the U.S. to visit sir that you're overdue for i'll show you the prairies we'll, we'll go see some prairie dogs we'll see some yeah. homesteads we'll take some shots they're not actually prairie. dogs it's not prairie dog, just a dog on a prairie no 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 it's, it's more of a it's, it's more of a more of a rodent yeah it's okay. like a, it's like a, i'm in it's like a meerkat family yeah but like ish. chubbier chubbier yeah chubbier, like shorter. Shorter. yeah kind of like chipmunks but like huh? a bigger fatter chipmunk a big fat chipmunk yeah okay this is i'm so confused by this animal um, <laughs> not much of a tail, little tail, but not. Do you know not, what a ca- you know what a capybara is? <laughs> it's not like that at all. The <laughs> country confuses me. So, anyway, do you know what a parrot is? Of America, <laughs> the whole middle of America is a prairie. Most people call it flyover states because no one wants to visit it. I think they're dead wrong. It's an amazing landscape. 
mm-hmm. it's just cool. There's just grass, flat horizon, and amazing sky. And then mm-hmm. whatever you find as a subject, if you find anything out there, it stands out like nothing else because it's a thing on the prairie. So it's the starkness of it. It's the contrast. It's really yeah. quite, it's a good, like minimalist backdrop for any subject you find. Now you so may have few, to drive a thousand yeah. miles before you find a subject, but if you find something, it looks pretty cool in the prairie. Yeah. Uh, so if you look, if you look at the modern pra- or the great plains on his website, that's exactly kind of what he said is like there's you find a subject and it's in this place that is there's nothing else for miles around just yeah. landscape and that's sky right. yeah, the, the magic of large format too yeah, uh, yeah. i mean Hello. you know what's the one there's another one that was really that was a favorite of mine that i had but i, I navigated away from it where did it go um this makes for a really good podcast. I know this is a great, <laughs> this dead air. Right. Well, I try to find a photograph <laughs> well, on a website. It surfs the web, actually. I'm quite... Oh, Frosty Solitude. That one. Um... That's my personal favorite, actually. I mean. Really? It's, yeah, yeah. that's actually my top favorite image. Hold still. on a minute. So, I mean, it's nice. a pretty new one you know, a few years I'm ago. I have to that. surf the web now as well. Hold on. Yeah, no, that, <laughs> that one. Um, I don't know if you had posted it on Instagram recently or it was a while ago or I don't know how I I, I kind of only post things once. Like I am pretty bad about repeats. Yeah. I posted it when I took it. Probably, probably when I saw it and I was just, it's just, yeah, yeah, it's just really simple. It's very, um, it just kind of has all these different elements. It's cinematic in a way. I don't know. It's something about it. it. It's very Nat Geo, but also very dreamy. It's such it's a cool a subtle, image. It's just a frosty tree on a completely fog obscured frosty prairie. And it's just a uh, gentle blues and a slight gradient in the sky. It's just Wait, a very, what are we talking about? So frosty if you go, solitude. It's just a blue, bluish whitish <laughs> image. <laughs> if you go to the great Plains <laughs> section in his gallery, frosted yeah. bales does it for me. I mean, oh, that's, that's a good, good one too. That's a, that's an old one. That's an oldie. That's yeah. It really, it really, I also like uh, red barn winter storm. Okay. Let's uh, just right. go through his website and tell him which ones. We yeah, let's let's like the rest uh, of this let's describe let's describe photos on an audio program. Excellent. <laughs> um, we're obviously <laughs> going to put the like link. Programs when they describe the smell and taste of food. So like, yeah, we're going to put the link to that gallery in the in the show notes. So people Frosted, can go Frosted look. Bales does it for me. I'm all right. I'm for that that gets your jollies. It, you kind of get an idea of that prairie landscape. It's just uh, yeah. any I'm any tickled. sort of subject really stands out. My pickle is heavily tickled by that image. <laughs> <laughs> heavily. Um, so you're, you have one four by five camera that you like to use kind of most of the time, right? Yeah. What's what yeah, are you so using? I, I'm using a Chamonix. So I started using mm. that. Um, I mean, I was, I use a Toyo for like 10 years, which is a tank. I mean, Toyo's, you know, the, it's a, a seven pound hunk of metal. That's just going to last a long time. Except the bellows yeah. actually don't last that long on them. Um, and a uh, pretty tough camera. I had uh, some pinholes in the bellows and I had replaced the bellows when I bought it because they had pinholes in it. So I'm like, oh, I should look for something. I'm like, why am I carrying around the seven pound brick? Because I actually like to go backpacking. Mm-hmm. And I really started to look at my backpacking approach because it is, you know, I do a lot of the prairie stuff, which that's usually not far from the car. You know, I'm just driving down dirt roads or maybe biking around or something like that. But the mountain stuff really gets me going in the adventurous mood. So I was carrying 
I didn't, I didn't know what I was carrying. I put in, I would grab all of my lenses and I'd grab a bunch of film holders and carry everything like I was for a day hike. Mm-hmm. And then I would also strap on a tent and sleeping bag and all the stuff for camping. And I didn't mm-hmm. know what it weighed. And a friend was like, what is on your bag? Like, what do you have in there? <laughs> and I'm like, my stuff, man. And this was quite a while ago. And he's like, I have a scale with me. I'm like, I, I don't know if I want to know. And he said it was 72 pounds. Holy so, shit. And I'm like, that's why backpacking is not all that fun for me. I mean, I love being in the destination, but the hike was pretty torturous. So, seventy uh, pounds in kilos. So I know what you're talking about. I feel like that's thirty-five ish, thirty-four, thirty-two. I think that's heavier than what you carry on a pack in like the military, like the army. I think yeah. they carry like fifty-five yeah, it was pounds. Pack. Ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a lot. Kilos, not as heavy. So yeah. your chamonix. So. I'm guessing the chamonix is a lot. What? Right. Later. So I really just started taking a major approach at everything as far as paring it down. I saw bringing four lenses. I'd, I'd usually bring two or three. Um, some trips I even just brought one. I'd bring three or four film holders and then, you know, spare boxes to load it in, but trying to minimize everything and then lighter gear. And I've usually shaved it down for like a one night trip. I'm probably only at 35 pounds for the cameras plus the sleeping gear for a long week long trip. I might be around 50 still yeah. but pared it down quite a bit um so at first i went with the intrepid camera which was like the lightest four by five you could get um not robust those uh those break about every one season in my hands so uh, uh <laughs> <laughs> um i ended up i went through two of them and then i kind of jumped in the chamonix realizing it's actually cheaper to own a chamonix which will probably last me like five years so if I can yeah, five years they are beautiful so. well yeah, it's a lovely camera. Um, it should last most people a lifetime. So I'm, I'm hoping for five years out of it. And so it sounds uh, like your approach is is simple and easy because it, if you can't get to the destination easy enough and you can't, you know, use a camera that's not going to break, you're not going to get the image at all, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. Much. So that's yeah. good. I feel so. like sometimes you know photographers tend to be a little overkill with everything. I used to bring on trips. I'd bring my RB67. Uh, some 35 millimeter camera, a point and shoot, you know, a bunch of film, a Polaroid, maybe like just every camera I had. This is me. Right. Plus lenses. And it's just like, no wonder I wasn't having a good time. This is me. And then the right. T4 comes out, everything else just like stays in the bag. Yeah. 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 <laughs> exactly. One camera comes I, out, everything else stays in the bag. Right. So I always end up having, like, on this long road trip, I had a medium format system with me. Don't know why. You know, maybe my 4x5 exploded or whatever and wouldn't mm-hmm. need to use As it or felt do. like using yeah. it for something. But it sat tucked away in the farthest bottom corner of my van, not touched once the entire time because the 4x5 system was there and ready to use. So what do you really want for that system? Uh, I have a Pentax 6.7. Of course. Even at Robust. Yeah. Something else. Every everyone's yeah. favorite boat anchor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> I've so. I've learned that as someone who because I shoot a lot of medium format just because it's the it's like the middle road between you know resolution quality and you know ease of use. Uh, yeah ease of use because you know four by five to me appeals to me for so many reasons but sometimes it's just like not practical so um, I found after years and years of buying and selling cameras that the Rolleiflex. Um, that I have is kind of the best of everything. It's just easy to bring with me. It's small. It's super light. Oh, really like great image quality. Or, uh, yeah, it's um, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Those are just light and easy, and yeah, bad. it's hard to because it's so it's so small. But you know, it's a six by six. It's got the uh, the Zeiss Tessar lens, so it's a nice. beautiful lens. So um, and it just it, these things are really robust, and I could stick it in a bag, and it's not going to add too much it. weight. 
you could definitely break it because apparently you break <laughs> stuff all the time. So how, why are you so why are you so rough with your gear? Are you just kind of like a mountain man and you just I, mean, I don't know. I mean, I get a little bit. I, I'm pretty excited when like the lights really good and things are happening. Yeah, you're so, just you like know, when, when, spiking your camera after a good photo. <laughs> yeah, you know, no, I just I think I just kind of like I don't know if I'm necessarily rushed, but you know, I toss things around. You know, I use them for what they right. are. They get uh, yeah, so they just get they get abused. So they get used I mean, they a are, lot too. So. Two I, I threw my shot. I'm gonna eat a bear. There you go. Right, yeah. Attack, See, right. yeah. yeah. <laughs> is there is there anything that you are excited about doing? Do you have projects coming up you you haven't gotten a chance to start yet? Or is there anything is there like a I don't know, holy grail trip or location that you really feel like you wanna do or what's coming up for you? I mean, what I did this summer was kind of was kind of. I like mean, a, yeah, that's a huge. pretty big goal right now. So I'm actually kind of winding down from that before I start looking forward. So I'm going to work on the film. I'm really excited to see uh, what else comes out of the developer, and I'm really excited to get scanning on it. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, so from there, I'll probably spend the next couple of months working on that, and then I'll be like, all right, what's next? So, but that was a trip I wanted to take for a long time. So uh, on that, continuing working on the prairie stuff, always enjoy that. So yeah. Do you scan everything with the drum scanner? Yep. Yeah. Fuck, that's uh, nice. I mean, if you have one, you might as well. <laughs> no, right? so, you make your own prints or does someone else do that for you? Um, I can. I only have a fairly small printer, so I can just make like 16 by 20s and small panos and stuff like that. So um, I do have to have a lab make the bigger stuff. Do you? This is a really, really boring question, but do you get bulk prints made or do people or do you print them to order? That sounds like a really boring print question. Print to order, yeah. 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 See, that, that's the thing to me. Like, I want to always do it, and then I want to just do like a limited release and be like, "Oh, we're only right. doing like ten, and then but I can't afford mm-hmm. to get ten of my own prints." <laughs> well, you can do them one on a. T- you can still do an addition to order. You know, just keep yeah. track of it. So that's how you I don't do have it. To print I do all ten at once. Yeah, so, I do it too. So mine are limited, yeah. but I only print them on demand. So and then, you know, number yeah. them as they go. So. That's smart. That's what I would do. Um, yeah, uh, we do have some questions from the fans or right. the people. Uh, some of them we've already covered, like how much all the processing he just did, uh, how much all that processing he just did cost. I think he's talking about how much of the film you just shot, how much. Oh, that costs. well, when I do it myself, <laughs> it's about like 60 cents a sheet or so. There, we go, look at there that. you go. It's a bunch of my time. So there do the go. math, Aaron. Um, Austin asks, how much does one manage? How does one manage to shoot that much color four by five film? Uh, Great question. Three months, uh, just two and a half months in Alaska. Yeah, usually I shoot about six hundred sheets a year, so I definitely shot a lot because I was just on the road the whole time on a trip, you know, just for photography. Right. Yeah, Uh, I figured I'd bring eight sheets a day was my plan, and that's about what I ended up shooting. So, wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um. So this one is a pretty good one. Will he do any more work on YouTube? Is he tempted? Well, that's one question. Will he do any more YouTube stuff? Is a question. I mean, it's a it's. Sadly, not at the forefront. I'm definitely a photographer first. Uh, I'm yeah. a pretty awful YouTuber, uh, but Same. <laughs> I will at time. I, I'm not. I'm not ruling really it out, but I will try to do some things. But I'm probably never going to be a, a YouTube star. Um, but I will uh, always enjoy taking photos and sharing, you know, with my blog posts and stuff as well. So, but I'll do some stuff on YouTube. You could definitely do voiceover work, in my opinion. <laughs> is it, Mike is, is that really voice. Is <laughs> just, it? just it's. I just yeah. I I love it. It's kind of like. <laughs> It's kind of like, you know, when you watch those programs where it's like America's 10 worst serial killers, like <laughs> that's like it's on the narrator. 
Excellent. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. do have a very good narrator voice, I would say. I was, I'm a surprise. I'm for the podcast. Be... When we start talking about too much photography, I get really bored and start wandering off. And well, then, like... I was going to say, I just assumed that you're based on your work, which you can never really, you know, judge someone based off of anything without knowing them. I just assumed you'd be really soft spoken and very like methodical because you're like, so like your work is so pretty and like you have such a great big body of work that's so well, or your website's very well organized. Your blog is so nope. well done. I you just never know who like, someone is. huh? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I just assumed you'd be like, like he Hey guys, thanks for having me on the pod. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But no, I, turn, turns out a lot of people think I definitely shoot like a lot more from the hip than people think. I think you know, I, I shoot a lot of sheets of film. I mean, I still try to have a pretty good hit rate and I feel like, you know, exposures are pretty good, but I kind of, I'm a little more from the hip than people might expect, I think. So just yeah, kind of shoot a lot. I think, well, I think people I feel like, I think they get the idea that like to be a good photographer, you have to be super methodical, very like careful, like thoughtful about everything you do and that there's not, as much spontaneity to it unless you're like a street photographer or right. whatever. It's pretty um, spontaneous for me. It's, it's, I don't always know what I'm going to come across. And uh, when I see something cool, I shoot it, you know, it's really, it's yeah, and I opposite. leave my mind pretty open. So like you've kind of got to just, it's the opposite. You've got to just be willing to go make a shit ton of mistakes. Like every single day, like, yeah, you know, that's like, you never, it never comes out. Well, rarely comes out right. First time, unless you're shooting a ridiculously complicated picture of a lunar eclipse. Right. Well, what's that? Yeah, that was first time. It worked just fine, actually. <laughs> who who said the like you're gonna take a million shitty photos before you take your first good one? Like some photographer said that. Oh, man, I'm no yeah, sounds, like, sounds like something I saw on some you know quote little with a guy's face that I can't remember his name. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, another question this guy had is: Is he tempted by eight by ten? Are you tempted by eight by ten? All right. That's uh, I get the question I get a lot is like, when are you going to upgrade to eight by 10? And I'm not tempted by it. Uh, I mean, I'm not, I, I, well, I would even go ahead and almost rule it out. Uh, it just doesn't call to me because to me, I can shoot four by five so fast. I have my backpacking kit figured out, you know, I get, it's light. It's really a four by five kit, you know, kit pared down is just as light as a medium format kit, really. Mm -hmm. So for backpacking, it's pretty practical. It's not as quick, um, but it's pretty snapshotty compared to 8x10. Uh, 8x10, and it's not really the price of the film that bothers me as much as the inability to carry as much, the size of the gear, the just the any sort of breeze ruins everything the camera would wiggle. I mean, even when I use a 300 millimeter lens on 4x5, mm -hmm. you know, you can't have much wind out at all. You, your standard lens on 8x10 is 300 millimeters. You're going to be using way longer than that all the time. Mm -hmm. Every little factor is just so much more annoyance. Uh, and the depth of field challenge, the fact that you have to stop the lens down even more. Uh, yeah. And shooting 8x10 at f64 is really not much sharper than shooting 4x5 at f32. So, because the diffraction yeah. actually matters either way. So, it is it's, sharper. It's yeah. a big sheet of film. It's, they are really, I say, you know, people send me 8x10 to scan, and those slides look absolutely amazing on a light table. It's really cool. Uh, but I just don't think I want that to be my process. Right. It's funny because it's kind of like, you know, what are they asking eight by 10 photographers? Like, Hey, when are you going to upgrade to the Hubble space telescope? Like <laughs> yeah, it, right. it's, it's, it's like you find this thing you're good at and everyone wants to know like when you're going to do something even bigger and crazier. And right. it's like, well, why isn't this? And good I, enough? 
Yeah, I would probably just straight up argue that um, for me personally, eight by ten is not an upgrade. So, no, and that's uh, the thing. So it's, it's bigger. I mean, if you just if you're just measuring the size of things, it is four times bigger. Totally. Uh, you know, but you know, and the, four times more expensive and all that. Resolution, then fine, but right, it would hamper my shooting style so much. I think it's because people don't realize how from the hip I am, I think, and how quickly I shoot. So, and an eight by ten does become rather impossible to shoot like that. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, this guy also said, incidentally, Frosty Solitude is one of my absolute favorite landscape photos, which is funny, seems to be a hit. (laughs) Ah, I love that one, so I was Um, really stoked that morning. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I, when I first saw it, I was I was hyped off of it. Um, Ryan asks, "What hobbies do you have that are not photography related?" Um, biking, I bike a lot, and then uh, sometimes it gets tied in with photography, and then generally, uh, you know, hiking, backpacking. So, but those generally are part of photography. So, I think I do them because of photography. So, you're just kind of outdoorsy in general, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So. Well, I need to be more outdoorsy. I'm inside way too much. Um, <laughs> Here's a f- weird question that might actually be a cool answer. Uh, what is a realistic camera accessory that doesn't exist, but you would want to exist? Good question. That's a oh, weird wow. question. <laughs> yeah, oh, but it's, I, think, I think immediately I went, that's a really good question. Now I'm thinking about it. That's a really stupid. Well, I'm trying right? to think if there's something I've had to like make on my own. I mean, like <laughs> flare buster does exist. That thing's pretty handy, but I think mm-hmm. I make it anymore. The little thing I clip on it. It's like, our, I use it as a rain shield. I use it as a flare buster. It used to be a $30 thing. Um, but like, Is that just else? like a barn door for still camera? No, it's just a little clamp. It's a little flexible thing with two clamps and you can stick a piece of plastic on it that comes. Oh with yeah. A piece of yeah. 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 Super useful. <laughs> I um, some, as far loaded, as things that I don't loaded four by five for me. Okay. Yeah. That'd be pretty neat. An auto some sort loader. of like better rain cover for four by five. I don't know if there's something that does exist. I'm not aware of it, but boy, rain was an a umbrella in Alaska. On like, oh yeah. I guess, an, I guess, yeah. Something like lightweight, reasonable. I could have with me all the time because rain was a major problem. I've um, seen like custom made, like acrylic rain like sleeves you can put on top of the camera that like custom yeah, that fit might. it so but that's okay. also probably not for DSLRs or something yeah <laughs> also yeah. like a cup holder in front of the grand glass a couple i could have used maybe like um oh. a full breathing mask so i wouldn't breathe on my camera and make it foggy i could have used that <laughs> too so maybe <laughs> or maybe like a prism for ground glass that you just like attach to the back of that's the a thing that's a thing is it yeah, it's just yeah. gotta, it's gotta be expensive. Does Chamonix even make one? I mean, Toyo had one for sure. Um, Ben's, got a, Ben's got a, um, a, a Linhoff one. Oh, okay. So literally, it's like a little, it's just a cup that sits on the back. Yeah. And you just, it's, it, yeah. And some of them yeah. collapse, some of them fold open, I think, so they can yeah. kind of, it's but they're still, it's kind of a la- rather large thing to carry. Yeah. But you know, like, you, you think looking through ground glass is like, incredible but see when you look down this thing it's just and everything's the right way up and what it is just like you're transported into another world it's upside down is right side up to me it's all good yeah (laughs) um dave wants to know if i'm gonna if we're gonna start trying to bait you into bitching about youtube photographers because it's a spooky park bench staple um (laughs) because we like to we like to we've actually been talking about this off podcast and we've decided that we're more lovers than haters these days 
And yeah. okay, we don't, we don't, we don't hate the people we used to hate. We is are, that how you bait me? Is like the nice cop talk kind of? You're slowly baiting me. And then we're like, right who now? do you hate? Uh, you know, this is a segue into saying that we used to fucking hate you. And then we're like, oh, no, we're we invited you on as like penance, yeah. yeah no, no, we I think, we, we, we were we were both very actively um, mouthy. And I think I think we've come to the conclusion that actually we're just it was just being knobs for the sake of being knobs, really. I think what it's happened a great is great word. That, oh, we should use the word knobs more often. That's I agree. It doesn't it doesn't carry <laughs> the same weight in the U.S. Unfortunately, but I really yeah. love that to catch on. But yeah, I think just before we just were very vocal about things we didn't like in the community and like you know, YouTube photographers being people who picked up photography re- really recently and then made a YouTube channel about it and they still don't know anything, but are like have become like experts quote-unquote in the eyes of like young people younger people doing younger people things which is yeah, like what are you gonna do they're, they're better at taking video than i am i mean sure. what, what am i gonna do get yeah. angry about it do you, <laughs> watch, <laughs> you watch any photography youtube uh no that's probably the, YouTube, I, I guess YouTube that straight up says that i guess i don't care for it too much because i don't watch any of it whatsoever yeah yeah that's, i think yeah. the thing that i've become to realize like if i wasn't making youtube videos i probably wouldn't watch it either because there's nothing that is being offered that I need necessarily. All right. of the learning that I right. learn is like I find Viewers a photographer and like the only ones I watch, and that's just yeah. I generally use YouTube to like learn how to not break things on my van and take it off properly. So it's like repair yeah. videos is usually what I use YouTube for. Yeah. Oh yeah, Dude, that's <laughs> yeah. that's the best. That's the best of YouTube is like learning a skill that you didn't know before. Because yeah. someone's done it and they've been like, look at what I can do. Yeah, but then um, they try to make that 10 minute length, you know, minimum. So they have their little one minute introduction. And I'm like, oh, no, I can't do this right now. I'm really just trying to figure this out. It's so. kind of like uh, those when you go look up a recipe and someone is like, when I spent that summer in Arizona, I learned <laughs> like that whole spiel before they get to the recipe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love that. Um, Thousand word minimum. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and here's his last one. Uh Ash asked about uh, you did a blog post about panos recently and would be interested yeah. to hear more about those. So, yeah, I saw that on your Instagram. You had posted about um, the panos you were doing. You were shooting in four by five. Then you used a mask on your light table to kind of view them as a pano. Yeah. Um, what's the thinking behind that? Like what got you into panos in the first place? And I mean, yeah. panos are great in print. I just I absolutely love them. I mean, you put them over a sofa or something like that. and They're just great in a big print size. Yeah, uh, and they're just they're compositionally different. Uh, I mean, they're they're kind of cheating compositionally. Sometimes they're pretty. You're just slicing out the stuff you don't like in a photo. Sometimes you know you're. Um, but I think it was worked so well. I mean, nothing quite does an aspen forest the way a panorama does. You know, or mm-hmm. some of these big mm-hmm. landscapes. I think when it comes to a, it's easier to make an 80 inch long print that's not also 65 inches tall or something. So uh, right. I think panoramas work really well to just capture landscape images so i've shot them forever uh and i always had just done that cropping half sheet and then what was it maybe eight years ago i got one of those fuji panoramic cameras oh yeah and started shooting just six by 17 sometimes you know of course it was a separate camera which meant you use one or the other because you can't use two cameras at once so mm-hmm. that was a frustration and then I got some pretty good images with it. I enjoyed the camera. I mean, six by 17 is a very fun format as a photographer. And then I'd show the stuff at art shows and they'd be like, that's cool. That 20 by 60 is kind of neat, but can you sell me a 30 by 60? And I'd be like, nope, there's no, <laughs> there's no more image. It's nothing there. So I went right back to cropping full by four sheets, you know, full sheets of four by five because I had so much more flexibility because a lot of my Aspen panoramas, I sure I show it in this two by five ratio, but there's a little more height that's still interesting if they wanted to 
see it get a 30 by 60 inch print or something like that. So yeah, it turns out being, customers did not like that 20 by 60. And then I even funny. liked having more flexibility later on. So, yeah. So speaking of ratios, are you precious about the form? Like, I guess the, not necessarily the format, but the ratios you shoot in, like, do you ever think like, ah, oh, shit, I really want to shoot this in a square or are you just like, you know what? I shoot whatever it is full format four by five and then crop it to whatever you want at the end. Is that kind of how you work? Yeah. I mean, just to not have my website be a total mess, it's four by five or two by five. And then unfortunately, because I shot that six by 17 for a while, there's also some one by three. So my panoramas have two different ratios. I have one by mm-hmm. threes and I have two by fives and then mm-hmm. all any other images four by five. If a customer wants something else, I can talk all day. They can crop images up or whatever, but what I show is four by five because so, it. otherwise it's just a mess. So yeah. Cool. Well, yeah, that's good. Okay. Hopefully that's a good answer for, for Ash. That's cool. I, I wanted to get into panos, but I always do the, uh, the whole dance between like, Oh, should I get a camera that shoots panos or should I crop? Because I always feel like cropping is kind of like a cardinal sin. Like you shot nope, it one ra- aspect. Right. And it's the, that's <laughs> yeah. the thing. It's the simplify. The, the that's, easiest. All, yeah. that, that's what I thought. Because that's why I do the full sheet is because it's the simplest thing. I have no extra right. gear I need to carry. I don't need to carry mm-hmm. some silly roll film back. And I don't have to bring mm-hmm. rolls of film with me. I don't have to mess without any of that. It's just I already have film holders and film with me. So slap that on there and crop it later. It's that simple. I mean, I'm when I, I usually plan a sheet as a panorama first. I mean, I intend to crop it, but I also shoot it in the way that makes sense to use the full sheet if I wanted to. So if mm. I'm not necessarily putting this thing right in the middle, you know, that I, if, yeah. if, this, if the full sheet would make more sense if I shifted it up or down so where the full sheet could be usable, I'll still consider that. But I mean, I'm just cropping later. So but it's yeah. a plan to shoot it as a panorama. So that cool. was just the simplest solution. So simple's better. Simple's best. Um, yeah. Okay. Desert Island. Uh, money's no object. Desert Island camera. Desert Island film. Desert Island why, lens. Why's it got to be? Why's it got to be a desert island? Okay. Well, no, no, no. no. Okay. Okay. <laughs> tropical island. Lots of fruit. Lots of veggies. I don't shoot in the tropics. Um. Okay. Right, temperate. Well, okay. Um. Alex. Let's see. A continent that is uninhabited that has all of the forests and plains, everything you could imagine, every subject you could want to shoot, but you can only have one camera, one film. What are you doing? Well, it would be a four by five camera with Ektar. Ektar, really? Yeah. Wow. So is it because Ektar's got the flexibility that maybe slide yeah, from? Could I do anything? That's the simplest. I can just do anything with it. So not I Portra, mean, huh? That's a tough one, isn't it? Probably it do Ektar. You know, it, it, I'd like to. I'd really like to know the color palette of this so-called island first. You know, if it was really <laughs> soft and North subtle, America is uninhabited. It's under it's North America. <laughs> okay, North America. We're just gonna go general like mountains and whatnot. I'll be yeah, okay. Yeah. Fine. I'll go. With, I'll go with Ektar. So. Wow. You heard it here, folks. Ektar, Ektar is a winner. Mike, have you yeah. shot a lot of Ektar? I mean, I don't know. Do, do you like Ektar? Me? Yeah, you. I don't think you've ever talked to you about Ektar before. Eh. <laughs> like, wow. It's got a, yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't do this country justice. Oh, okay. well, because you, you want to make in- it look like Portra, overexpose it by a stop. Boom, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not huge. Shh, don't tell people the secrets. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not huge on Ektar. That's just. I I like it when other people use it. I just don't particularly like using it myself. Sure, that is the end. Is of there that. a? That's what I wanted to ask you. Is there a film you hate? Is there a film you just absolutely don't want to use again? Velvia 100. It's garbage. Really? Why? 
the hundred speed stuff. It was the worst. I, it wasn't at all Velvia 50. It was, uh, mm. it was just a super magenta madness, had no highlight dynamic range. It's just crap. There we go. Yep. Oh, I was going to ask you, have you ever tried the, um, oh, yes, you probably haven't. Cause you don't really shoot. You shoot 35 ever at all. Or I mean, or one twenty. Sometimes yeah, a little bit of 120. Yeah. Have you shot the, uh, the Cinestill 50 D at any, none point? of that stuff. No. Oh, any good. I, yeah. Well, so I took one, I took one shot. Isn't um, the one five now, or is it coming out or something? It's coming. It's coming, but it just um, complicates my bag. That just complicates. Yeah. Things. Yeah. I get it. Um, but I shot one, I did one shot. It was in Yosemite. It was at Tanaya Lake. There was a guy on a, on a, on a, okay. on a log. Yeah, that stuff. Um, There's a guy in a log. And I just took a snap of him with my Rolly Flex, and I just did the thing where I just pointed and metered and just did that whole thing. And 50D has always been really difficult to shoot because I think it needs a lot of light to be really good, um, and people don't really realize that. So every time I see it like online, it's very like muddy. But I took this one shot, and I sw- it's like the best photo I've ever taken. And every time I talk to another photographer who shoots film, I always want to be like, so have you tried 50D? Like, what do you think? Because it's like the once in a lifetime shot I took was like this perfect set of like circumstances. And I want to see what other people. So are shooting 50 at. speed, I take it. So I'm convinced it's so the what Sinistel does is they take, you know, motion picture film, take off the rem jet. And, you know, so I'm pretty sure it's um, Kodak 50, 50D, the Vision 3 stuff. Um, okay. So it should be. I'm pretty sure it is 50, or yeah. close. And then, to do, it. You, do you does it love to be overexposed more? Then you kind of need to because I shot it. I believe I shot when I metered it. I I was worried about detail in the background. There's like these uh, mountains in the background. I was really worried about losing the detail and the shadows there. So I remember I gave it an extra stop of exposure when I All took right. the photograph, and it just it's it's the it's amazing and so i don't know what what you're talking about you it's on mm, i thought they were bringing one of their films out in four by five this is actually this is also very special cinestale 50d not only is it four years expired it was given to me by (laughs) kyle mcdougall it was given to you by kyle mcdougall it's very special special. yeah was he keeping it in his beard um, no, we went out to go and shoot some photos and I, um, being really smart, forgot to bring some film and <laughs> he just went into his bag and was just like threw some film at me, including this. And I'm just not going to shoot it yet. Wow. Brilliant. <laughs> I can't even find this picture I'm talking about. I'm going to frame anymore. it. You're not going to shoot it, are you? Well, fr- no, it, it smells of beard oil. That's Did amazing. you, is it at least in the fridge? You keep it cold or, oh, here it is. Yeah. You've seen this, Mike. You've seen this photo. It's it's, it's terrible over this video. Hold on. Is it on your what's it on your Instagram? It doesn't matter. The point is, uh, like it, I, I think they are bringing <laughs> that out in four by five, and I'd be okay. really interested to see what you think about it. But um, but yeah, uh, Velvia one hundred sucks. We hate it. It's gone now though, right? They don't make it anymore. Yeah, yeah. That's the one. The people were emailing me like crazy when it, when the EPA pulled it or whatever. I'm like, okay, I don't care. <laughs> Good riddance. Cool. Good riddance. <laughs> cool. Losers. Well, yeah. we won't take we won't take any more of your time today. Thank you so much for coming on the pod and answering some questions and talking about your work. Um, it was awesome. Yeah, here. thanks for uh, having me. It's been yeah, fun. Yeah, uh, I want to come of, out and hang out in your in your part of the woods. It sounds way more interesting than, than Christopher's. 
Yeah, we can show you prairie dogs and whatnot. So yeah, sure. well, yeah, Milwaukee is kind of boring. So we'll we'll t- as soon as you come visit the U.S. like you're supposed to, we'll come bother him in, in Colorado. How about that? <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> we'll have Brian Burks meet up with us, and we'll all have a day about it. Yeah, cool. I'll well, thanks Kyle, again I'll for coming. Kyle on my shoulder bag as well. He can come. Oh yeah, bring Kyle. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks again for coming, man. I appreciate it, and uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll talk to you soon. Have a great day. Pleasure. Sounds to meet good. You, thanks.